the only daily Premier League podcast. This is Football Social Daily. Hello, happy Friday. Football Social Daily is back with another episode ahead of the Premier League, returning for what, bewilderingly, is the start of a busy Christmas schedule with a double game week in the offing this week. So put your stance... Pull your Santa beard on, grab another mince pie and ramp up that goodwill to all men except Burnley as we dive into today's festive feast of football. I'm Jim Santa Salverson and I've got Steve Murr McNaughton on the podcast. Ho, 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 Steve. <laughs> Hello, Jim. And we've got Fergal Boxing Day Brennan as well. So, so cool because he's always a day late and usually a bit of an afterthought. How you doing, Fergal? Uh, thanks very much, yeah. I'll take that, Jim. Thank you. Good. Right, we're going to be talking about Fergal's beloved Arsenal very shortly. They completed their 100% record in the Europa League last night. But why can they do it in Europe and not in the Premier League? We'll talk about that shortly. Arch-rivals Spurs were also in action. They finished top of their Europa League group as well with a second-string team that did not feature... Delhi Alley, who looked a dejected figure on the Tottenham bench last night. Could he be on a manager's Christmas wish list this January? I think that's it for the Christmas stuff. I'll put an end to that now. I'll stop that. Finally, we've got a decent game for Friday Night Football too. I think so anyway. It's Leeds United welcoming West Ham United to Ellen oh, Road. Wow. <laughs> well, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> Leeds haven't lost in nine outings versus the Hammers. That said, with four matches without a win at home for Leeds this season already in a row. The Yorkshire side, who knows? It could go either way. And we're going to keep the blue flag flying at the end of the podcast with our floodlight focus today featuring Chelsea. We're going to chat to Chelsea fan and author Mark Worrell. But first, let's get on with that European action for our Premier League teams. Starting with Spurs 2, Royal Antwerp 0. Tottenham got the win that they wanted. They've topped the group. And Jose does seem to have quite a decent second string to his squad at the moment he's got his Premier League team which remains pretty unchanged and he's got his Europa League team as well which is giving the fringe players a go could this potentially Steve see them challenging on a couple of fronts because we've already talked about them being in the mix for the Premier League but if they could win the Premier League and maybe the Europa League as well suddenly that's looking like a fantastic season for Jose well it'd be an unbelievable season wouldn't it if they could pull that off I'm not convinced it will happen at this point. I think there's there's better teams than them that are going to drop into the, the Europa League as a result of the Champions League uh, group stage has been settled this mm-hmm. week. Um, the league is is a big ask for them because it is it's really difficult to win as 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 we know. And I think that having said that, Jose has started to kind of implement his thinking and he's getting his message across to them Tottenham players. He's managing his players really well. Um, he's not throwing his players under the bus as much as he has done in previous jobs like at Man United for example and I think that there seems to be a bit of harmony at Spurs at the minute and there seems to be a lot of people have bought into the mission and and, and they're on the same hymn sheet and it is a very very exciting time for Spurs and I think it's going to be quite interesting to see if they can indeed kick on I think it's not beyond the realms of the possibility for them to go far in in both of them this season Uh, I just think that they might get pipped though 
Am I getting carried away, Fergal? Because, yeah, they've done really well in the Europa League, but at the end of the day, as Steve says, it's a Europa League without the big hitters at the moment. So, I mean, Royal Antwerp finished second in the group and they're not much of, a com- not much of an opposition compared to what they will face in the latter stages. No, Steve's exactly right. When you look at the teams that are going to drop down from the Champions League, that kind of separates the men from the boys because the standard suddenly gets elevated. It's one of the criticisms of the Europa League that you can be a big fish in a small pond in the group stages and then and then get found out um, in the second half of the competition. I think the way they've started this season, obviously Jose's doing everything in his power to talk down a title push despite the fact they're top of the league. And only, only he could really manage to do that. Only he's got the, the linguistic ability to try and spin that one round um, I think in terms of their starting 11 yeah when you look at the team that was put out last night the majority of those players or probably in fact maybe all 11 you would you would put on the fringes of a, of a European finish in the Premier League um, I think their, their Premier League 11 as, as you said uh, is in a position to push for a title race I still think individually Liverpool and Manchester City have got better players and, and a better way of playing but as we know with Jose, as he did when he was more successful in his younger years with, with Porto and Chelsea and Inter Milan, it's about a system and it's about mm-hmm. squeezing every bit out of certain players and, and getting them to play in unfamiliar positions. You know, We all remember Samuel Eto'o playing right wing for, for Inter Milan and you're talking about one of the best strikers of the last 20 years being shoved out wide to, to let someone else play through the middle. So I don't think you're, you're getting too carried away. I think the results so far this season have, have raised expectations for Spurs fans and for the rest of us looking enviously uh, over the fence at what they're doing. Um, in the Europa League, we'll see. Was, it all depends on who they get in, in the knockout stages. If they get a, a relatively straightforward draw, I think they've got the squad to, to power on through and do the Thursday-Sunday, Thursday-Sunday pattern. Yeah. Um, but if they if they get tied with someone who's who's a who's a good team and, and will cause them problems, then we'll see a different set of questions being asked. I mean, for the good results in Europe and for the result last night, it, it does have to be tempered slightly with the performance wasn't brilliant, certainly for the first 50 minutes. There are a couple of decent performances from, in particular, Vinicius and Lo Celso, I thought were two of the, the better performing players in the first half of football for Tottenham. For me, though, Steve, it, it's quite difficult to see them actually getting a chance in the Premier League team, if you like, the first string Spurs team, because in order to get that chance, they've got to displace the likes of Son and Harry Kane. And when they came on at last last night, it kind of lit the game up. Yeah, they've got they've got no chance. It, it's, it's the brutal truth of it. And I think that if Tottenham are still in in the mix late February, early March for uh, challenging for the Premier League, I think that they, they've they've got no chance of getting in. I think if Jose zones his focus in on trying to get over the line in the league. Um, it's going to be very, very difficult for them because the quality in the first eleven of the Tottenham team is 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 superb, and it must be pretty disheartening. I think because they're going to be relying on injuries to happen, and which inevitably will do, um, as a team who've had about forty-seven injuries this season, um, it, it's going to happen for them. And mm. I think that that's when these guys have got to come in and and you know stake the claim to to have the shirt. But it, it is a massive ass gym to to shift the likes of Kane, Son. Bale, um, you know, etc. It it's really difficult for him, but it's something that Jose's going to have to manage. It's something that he flagged up in his post-match interview as well. He said how difficult it was to keep his entire squad happy with game time. The other thing that Jose talked about in his post-match interview was an incident after he made his fifth substitution in that game, in which 
Deli Ali left the bench and walked off down the tunnel, having failed to get on the pitch. So Jose said essentially it was cold, and he told some of his players to go and have a shower. Some decided to go, and some decided to stay. I think it was only Deli Ali that did decide to go. So how much truth there is in that statement, I don't know. But then he went on to talk about Deli Ali in particular, and he said, "Let's not run away from reality. A player." On the bench, he realises all five subs have been used. Is of course not a happy player, and I would not expect him to be happy. What does this say about the future of Deli Ali? He clearly wants to play football. Jose Mourinho is essentially playing two starting 11s, Premier League and second string. If he's not getting in either of those on a regular basis, even as a substitute, that means that we've talked about his future before and him needing to go away, but... It's looking clearer and clearer that a move in January could be on the cards, Fergal. Yeah, you would think so. And the, the situation here for me is, is relatively clear. Jose, when he makes his mind up on a player, it's very difficult to think of an example of someone that he's gone back on. Mm. The the kind of assumption when he did this initially with, with Delhi at the back end of last season, then at the start of this season, was to light a bit of a fire under him, to, to get him back to his best form when he was double figures in, in Premier League goals in midfield and really, really highly thought of as, as a Premier League midfielder. We all assumed that that was his tactic, but in reality, it's it's more of a return to form from from Jose. Yes, Tottenham are being successful this season and he's he's doing very well and, and he seems to kind of have a little bit of energy injected back into himself, but he doesn't change the way that he operates and this is the way that he operates. It's always been the case, particularly when he's been successful. There's always been fall guys. For every Eric Dyer where he's brought him in and, and he's allowed him to play centre-back and he's flourished, there's always drop-offs. There's always players that have been previously successful that then haven't fitted into his plans and it doesn't necessarily mean anything against Deli Ali. I, I still think he's an excellent footballer and definitely capable of playing for a, a good Premier League team but Jose doesn't tend to turn back on these things and I don't think it will necessarily be something that Ali has done or, or that Jose has seen in training or whatever I think this is just a case of I have one way of doing things this is how I do it these are my lads this is how we want to play you for whatever reason it could be a million and one things <clears throat> do not fit into that and I think the difficulty now is where does he go because mm. when you're playing for a, a top four or you know this season a title challenging team unless one of your rivals come in which is unlikely and it's unlikely that Spurs or Daniel Levy would sell to one of them inevitably it's going to be a step down if you want to stay in, in English football in the Premier League so well, that said PSG there's, there's links again linking him to PSG which Although on one hand he doesn't seem like to he doesn't seem to be the caliber of player that PSG would look for, but on the other hand it makes perfect sense for some reason. I'm not sure why it makes sense, but Deli Ali to PSG just seems to make sense to me. Um, the caliber thing, I, I don't know. It's a difficult one to gauge because for me PSG for so long, yes, they got to the final and they rescheduled last season, but they've always been a, a kind of an assembly of, of different parts, different trinkets stuck on the tree together. Mm. They've never really been a unit. I'm not saying that Deli Ali's the you know the, the shield rattler to, to you know unite them all. I don't think Neymar's going to be listening to Deli Ali and what he has to say. But in midfield, they're not pulling up any trees they're not they don't have an outstanding midfield unit Marco Verratti is, is very good but is he is he world class is he better than the best best midfielders in Europe no probably not so I think Ali could have a role there I think he could play there um, but it's this again it's this whole multitude of factors of 
would he want to leave England? Would he want? To, would he be excited by this new challenge? Would it be presented to him in a way that he'd be interested in it? But I, I think he could play in that midfield. I think he. Um, I don't necessarily think he would get them their holy grail of winning the Champions League, but I definitely think he, there'd be a role for him because let's not forget, prior to being frozen out by Jose, he was one of the best goal scoring midfielders mm. in, in the Premier League. Before we move on to Arsenal's game last night, I just want to deliver a stat to you boys. I love a good stat. And Harry Kane's assist last night makes it 13 assists in all competitions across Europe. That is more than any other player in Europe's top five leagues. And the next person behind him is Manchester City Kevin, Kevin, Manchester City's Kevin De Bruyne. And he's got 10 assists. It's just looking like Harry Kane's season, this one, Steve, isn't it? 13 assists. He's not shy of goals either. He's turning into the complete player. Absolutely. And I think I remember um, about 18 months ago writing Harry Kane off. I think he had his first third serious ankle injury yeah. that, that put him out for a long time. And I just I, I said, I just don't think he can get back to being the player that uh, he was. But how wrong was I so don't listen to a thing I say <laughs> I very clearly know nothing and um, he's, 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 he's almost kind of found another level or two to add to his game and you know the assists the, the, you know, the dropping deeper when he has to and the, the, the overall kind of impression he has on his team is just absolutely phenomenal and I think you know it's good news for Tottenham the biggest challenge you've got is still keeping him fit because he is susceptible to, to muscle injuries and obviously there's a, there's a concern about the, the ankles still um, but I think while he's fit and you can get him on the pitch certainly in the Premier League and bring him off the bench in the Europa League to make the impact that, that he did last night for example I think it's nothing but good news and, and on secondary basis if you're massively into the England football team which some of us aren't and some of us are um, I'm, I, I'm not by the way as you know but um, I think it's good news for them as well where mm. tournaments are concerned and long may it continue because it'd be nice for him to be be up there when people are talking about you know the top players in world football and, and, and the statistics and the, the achievements that they've had across the seasons you know past and present so fair play to him he, he, he is world class he's top he's as good as it gets Let's move on to your team, Arsenal, last night then, Fergal. A 4-2 win against Irish team. You can probably help me with the pronunciation now. I'm bad at pronunciation as it is, but Dundalk? Is that, are we saying that right? Dundalk. Dundalk. There we go. There we go. Dundalk does sound like a Europa League team, though. Dundalk sounds like a kind of like a catchy chorus from a pop song, doesn't it? Dundalk, Dundalk. Anyway, Arsenal managed to beat them. They finished the Europa League group with an 100% record, which even though we've talked about what the Europa League can offer, it's still impressive to finish your group with a full tally of wins. So why can it happen for them in Europe at the moment? And why is it not happening in the Premier League? Uh, oh, that's three or four different questions rolled into <laughs> one. Um, I think one of the main reasons is Arteta has gone with a completely different team in Europe. We touched on before the break, uh, sorry, earlier on about how Spurs are able to feel a different eleven in the league and in the Europa League. Arsenal are doing the same with a significant drop in quality. But I think the the, the vibe around the Premier League team, the first eleven at the moment, is so negative because of the run of results that we've had in the last month to two months that the Europa League is almost a break for Arteta and for the players. Um, and yeah, I mean, yeah, you can look at the, the situation with the Europa League. Obviously, we said before with Spurs and 
group stages for for good Premier League teams should be fairly straightforward. Let's see how they get on in the knockout stages. And it's very difficult to gauge Rapid Vienna, Mould and Dunderlack, how mm. how Arsenal are, are really doing. And yes, this is a second string, but it's difficult to gauge a lot about the level of players. Um, for me... I, I would like to see Arteta maybe roll the dice on, on certain players. The, the 11 that started in Dublin last night, none of them I probably think will, will play at the weekend in, in the Premier League. So, Would you give them a chance? Would you give some of those players, like Joe, Joe Walcock looked really good in midfield when he came on. Would you like to see the youngsters getting an opportunity in the Premier League instead of the players that aren't performing at the moment? Yeah, I would. I mean, and the most surprising thing for me is that tactic was exactly what kick-started things for, for Arteta when he took over um, at the back end of last year. In January, February time, results were going against us. He started to blood some of the younger players in the Europa League. Willock, as, as you said there, Bukayo Saka, who's gone on to be a key first-team player now mm. since, he, since he's been brought in. So I'm not someone that's advocating in massive changes and drop a Bamiyang and drop Bern Leno and etc. But there's there's been a lot of passengers in that Arsenal team for some time, and they're not. War- they haven't. They didn't warrant a first team place before Arteta. They haven't warranted one since he's come in, and they definitely don't warrant one now. If you've got players who, even if yes, they're inexperienced and are not proven at Premier League level, but they're confident, they're fresh, they will add something because. At the moment, there's, there's players in the Arsenal first eleven, the Premier League one that shouldn't be there. There's players that obviously should, but confidence is down. You know, they're affected by certain things. Younger players coming in can have a positive effect on certain players. So I don't see why not. If it, if it worked ten months ago, I'm not saying it's going to transform Arsenal's season and we're going to go on this amazing run and challenge for the title. No, you know, let's get real about it. But people like Niketa, Smith Rowe, Willock. Why not give them a chance? They, mm. they, you know, they've come through the academy. They're highly rated by the club. They do have smatterings of first-team experience. Play them. There's nothing to lose. Things are going so badly at the moment. Give these players a chance to see if we can get this season jump-started. Because at the moment, it's just going to keep rolling and rolling and rolling. There was a bit of a hint that Arteta might be thinking about that in his post-match press conference. Quite a pragmatic statement from him. He said, now that we now we have to forget about the Europa League because that's not back until February. We need everybody on board. We obviously have a large squad at the moment with players back from injury. So we'll have the opportunity to pick who is better in the moment and still rotate some players. So it sounds like he's considering some form of rotation and bringing in the players that have impressed in Europa. For you, Steve, would that involve dropping Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang who has been desperately shy of goals since he signed his new contract and then last night you've got a young hungry striker like Nketiah who is getting goals would you take that risk to drop your star man your captain and bring in one of those youth players the first thing I'll say is that I am. I for one, am relieved that we don't need to talk about the Europa League until February next year. <laughs> um, but uh, the, the second part of that is that it's a massive call to drop Aubameyang. Um, I mean, he is in rotten form at the minute, and I think that obviously you've, you've got to go with players that are in form and are, are most likely to you know to, to score goals for the team. And, and I mean, to get them up the table because Arsenal, you know, they're in fifteenth position in the Premier League. Sorry, Fergal, um, but it's just nowhere near good enough for a club as big and of the stature of, of Arsenal Football Club. Mm. I think. They, they, their turnaround in the Premier League needs rockets on it because I said on the podcast a couple of weeks ago that I thought Arteta's honeymoon had come to an end at Arsenal and it was you know it was time to really kind of start seeing what what's going on and I think 
the form has been been pretty grim and he's now at home arguing about who does the dishes that's how exactly. far away from the honeymoon he is yeah and <laughs> um he's uh, yeah he's i just think that they've just got to take it one game at a time arsenal and they've got, they've got to not think about the big picture in the league at the minute they've just got to think if they can go onto the pitch and do their business over the 90 minutes and you know win the next game and then go into the next game after that and I think I look at the teams around them and I just think you know they, they, they've certainly got to be aiming for you know when I'm looking at the, the table now Leicester fourth Southampton fifth you know these are teams that shouldn't be above Arsenal I don't think and I think that's what um Mikel has got an address really by taking over the likes of Leeds, Villa, Everton, Wolves, West Ham, and and, and having a go because it's just not going to get the time. You know, I think if it gets into another three months of this, I think I think he's a goner. Um, I think he will get into the new year, um, but he's, he's got to turn it round really. But the good news is is that he does have options because when you have players coming back from injury and you do have the luxury of being able to rotate, the things that he can see on the training pitch every day that we can't see. Um, will give him confidence that he can turn the corner and I think Aubameyang I'd probably keep him in if I'm honest um, I, I, if it was me I'd probably kind of try get him a tapping get him a penalty um, you know speak to um, Fernandes and Man United they're, they're very good at getting penalties each week get the old and, confidence um, back yeah get his confidence back and once he's got one he's the type of player mm. who'll get two, three, four very quickly because let, let's be, be under no illusion the guy's quality is is out of this world he is a phenomenal striker and you know form is temporary class is permanent I know we haven't got the cliche bell when we do it you know like this but <laughs> um, that 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 is true where, where he's concerned as you know as far as I'm concerned and I think it'll be in no time the Batman mask will be back out <laughs> it was a win for Arsenal last night but it wasn't all positives I think a team of Arsenal's quality shouldn't be conceding two goals against Dundalk or Dandalak for that matter they're both very good teams in Europe but they shouldn't be conceding twice and particularly the first goal that Dundalk scored it was it was a, it was a lovely move it was really intricate passing but Arsenal just shouldn't be getting taken apart like that at the back no matter who whether it's a second string or a first team on the pitch so it's not all sunshine but at the same time that is now nine unbeaten games in Europe for Arsenal on the trot seven wins and two losses which is a decent stat by anyone's standards right we're going to turn our attention to the Premier League next it's Leeds versus West Ham in our Premier League preview and it's coming up on Football Social Daily Football Social Daily. Subscribe to the podcast now so you never miss an episode. Football Social Daily. Find more great sport at sport-social.co.uk. Welcome back to Football Social Daily. Click subscribe to this podcast. We do a new Premier League show every day. If you click subscribe, you'll get them as soon as they're ready, including tomorrow, a full preview of all the matches, all the action coming up in this weekend's Premier League fixture list. But there is a game tonight. It is Leeds versus West Ham. And I mean, I'm the, I'm the resident West Ham fan here, so I don't feel like I should be answering the questions. So I'm going to hand my asking questions hat over to Fergal and let him take control of this one so I can impart my supreme knowledge on the hammers, my wisdom. I can, I can deliver that. So, Fergal, wisdom. it's all yours, man. Uh, wow, it weighs heavy, this hat. It does, it weighs heavy on my head. Um, I suppose from the outside looking in at West Ham, it's been a very 
topsy-turvy season. There's been some impressive stuff, but ultimately there's always been that little bit of inconsistency running through the, the team and, and obviously there's been issues over certain players injuries and, and David Moyes having to shuffle things around in order to, to get get an 11 out on the pitch essentially mm. but last week in the Man United game going in at half time 1-0 in front you're up to third in the table flying high we can talk about what happened in the Manchester United dressing room Solskjaer throwing teacups around and, and players arguing was there a little bit of complacency maybe in the West Ham dressing room where they thought, listen, we know United are having problems, we've got ourselves in front. And one thing that West Ham have looked good at in the last month or so is holding on to leads, preserving leads. You look at the Fulham game, Sheffield United, Villa, there was that little bit of steel of if we get to the last 20 minutes, we can just bed in, hold on and get the result. Do you think... I'm not saying that you know they were getting C faxed up on the on their on the TV in the dressing room or checking Twitter or anything like that. But do you think maybe there was a little bit of a taking their eye off the ball? I don't think it was complacency for West Ham against Manchester United. I think it was a few really good individual Manchester United performances. People like Greenwood really finding their stride in what was essentially the last thirty minutes of the game that lost it for West Ham at the weekend. So I don't think it was necessarily complacency complacency and I think potentially West Ham have been reasonably lucky in terms of hanging on to those results uh, against Fulham and against was it Sheffield United the yeah. the week before where we had the um, the penalty kind of ruled out and missed and whatnot at the end so there has been an element of luck being ridden and West Ham are traditionally very shaky in the last 20 minutes of a game when they need to hang on to something I think the, the big story for me of the season so far has been a failure to take chances and a failure to kind of put dominance to put teams to the sword when we've been ultimately dominant. I mean, we should have gone in in that Manchester United game 4-0 up at half-time from the chances that were created, but we just didn't quite have that finishing touch. And that, for me, has largely been down to two factors. One, we keep on hitting the bloody post. I think we've hit the, hit the woodwork eight times this season, which is more than any other Premier League club. A lot of that from set pieces, but also the absence of Mikel Antonio, who just adds a completely different dimension to our forward line going forward. I think we are much more assured, much quicker, much faster on the break when we have Antonio there. When we don't have Mikel Antonio, we kind of lack that pace a little bit. And we saw at the weekend against Manchester United, Jared Bowen getting through, who's no slouch, by the way, um, getting a clear breakthrough, but just being caught by the defender at the last minute. If that was Mikel Antonio leading that line, he would have had a little bit more time, a little bit more space, and he would have put that away. So I think it's less complacency, but more maybe not taking advantage of the positions that we've been put into in the first place Steve would you agree with that just kind of there's a lot of build up there's a lot of creativity the likes of Bowen Pablo Fornals has, has looked quite good in the last few weeks but that little bit of the tip of the sword be it Antonio's absence to injury or just other players not being able to take their chances do you think West Ham not just the United game but other results they would have got them over the line quicker if they, if they had someone who could stick the ball in the net yeah, I think Antonio is is a huge miss for him when when he he doesn't play because I remember when we we played West Ham uh, this season and he he wasn't playing. We we got the news just before that he wasn't playing, and let me tell you, the vast majority of Liverpool fans were like, "Getting he's not playing," and I think that says um, everything about the guy's quality. And I think um, West Ham, uh, I, I for me, are having the season that that you know they should be having. Really, I think. 
you know, when I see West Ham down near the bottom of the table and escaping relegation at a very late stage last last season, that's why um, you know Jim looks more like Fabrizio Ravanelli these days uh, after <laughs> uh, what what they put him through last season. I think that you know West Ham being eighth and flirting with the top four and and certainly them Europa League places, that's where a club th- th- they should be. And I think um, there's been a few good signings along with some bad signings, but. I think you know West Ham have got a lot to feel optimistic about, and I think they've been a bit unlucky with some VAR stuff this season. Um, and I just think you know if if they can consolidate the position and address the goals, I, I think they'll have a good season. You know, um, obviously Leeds, Jim. This is a game when you think of fans slowly in certain parts of the country being allowed back into stadiums. That's not going to be the case at Elland Road. This was a game that I'm sure you would have had maybe marked on the diary for an away day, travelling over to Elland Road. This is something that a lot of Premier League fans were delighted to have um, them back in the top flight for because Elland Road is an away day, the history of the club, given the fact that Leeds United seem to have a bit of a rivalry with anybody. Would you have been looking <laughs> forward to this game if you if you were able to take the train over? It's a great stadium to watch football in as well and they do in the press box if you're lucky enough to get in there some of the the best press food that you get at any Premier League club giant Yorkshire puddings full of sausages absolutely fantastic so so yeah would have fancied a trip to Ellen Road in terms of the result though it, it's difficult to know what you're going to get out of Leeds isn't it it's, it's difficult to know which Bielsa team is going to turn up because they looked so good at the beginning of the season and you, you experienced that for yourself Steve in their opening game against Liverpool where they were scoring goals for fun but they seem to have dropped off a little bit recently and I just don't know what Leeds is going to turn up at the weekend I was more confident going into the Manchester United game than I am going into this Leeds game I think the the positives for West Ham is that Leeds seem to have real issues at the back at the moment uh, Cox out uh, Lorente's out as well with a muscle strain so that's going to be a bit of a worry for Bielsa I've heard Luke Ayling's going to maybe deputise at centre back and when you're playing your full backs at centre back that's going to be a huge opportunity particularly for a team like West Ham who have this dominance from set pieces and these big players mm. like uh, Balbuena and like uh, Seb Heller and um uh, Suchek in the middle who can get on the yeah. end of balls so I think that I think it could be a real struggle for Leeds United but that said they have so much talent going forward at the moment and play as long as if Bamford can put the opportunities away that the players behind him and around him create they're always going to be a threat yeah I think Leeds are doing what a newly promoted team uh, will be tipped to do really the the top, you know the so topsy turvy like you say because if you get the leads that went to Villa Park and won three 0 it might be a, a much more difficult night you know, than anticipated but I think you know Bamford has been a revelation for them I, you know I know some Leeds fans and they were saying like there's just no way he's good enough to perform in the Premier League well so I hate to say it guys but he's proved it all wrong you know what I mean and. Um, I just think it's two teams that will have a go tonight and I think it'll be, you know, there's three points separate the two teams and um, I think, you know, Leeds would love to to move up to the table and certainly take, you know, uh, goal level with West Ham and Everton and Wolves and I think it's going to be an action-packed game tonight and I think, you know, both sides will have a go and I think that West Ham will try to exploit the injuries that Leeds have got in defence and 
Um, you're quite right. They have got them big lads that can get on the end of stuff. West Ham, Suchek has been another one who deserves a lot of credit for this season, mm. I think. Um, you know, bought in for relatively low money after a, a really successful loan period. Uh, was it like Slavia Prague or something like that before? Was yeah, someone like that. Yeah, got him and Sufal for the from the. Uh from the same team and yeah. instantly the David Golden Sullivan instructed the West Ham scouting network or single scout as it is rather than a scouting network to go and buy more players from Slavia Prague <laughs> because oh, it worked with these guys so we needed yeah. more of them so it'll be interesting to see what happens in January whether we get more Czech players coming in yeah, but g- great stuff, and I think you know, like I said, you know, West Ham will want to be throwing them balls in the air tonight and and getting them crosses and corners in, and free kicks in to try and kind of put uh, Leeds under a bit of pressure because Cox is, is is a massive miss for him. He's a, he's had a really good season. Interesting, like what you say about Patrick Bamford. What's your view on him, Fergal? Because there were a load of Leeds fans saying he wasn't good enough. And he has scored one goal for every 118 minutes he's played so far this season. But for me, I'm just, I'm, I still don't feel massively convinced by him in terms of being the Premier League striker that Leeds need. No, and I think a lot of that comes from uh, image. Let's, let's be straight about it. He's, he does not look like a Premier League striker. He looks like a nice guy that you'd buy a nice shirt from. He looks like he, he works in T- <laughs> he looks like he works in TM Lewin or something like that. Where you'd be like, if you needed a suit from a wedding, Patrick Bamford would be the guy to sort you out. Um, I think he has proven a lot of people wrong with his early season form, and he's also been very very lucky, uh, very unlucky. Sorry, with VAR, he seems to have one of the worst conversion rates of VAR decisions against him. He seems to constantly be falling foul of an armpit offside or a <clears throat> or a sleeve offside or something like that. Four nil. Again, yeah, but again, it's the age-old question. Scoring goals in the Premier League is incredibly difficult. Scoring them on a regular basis and scoring them when you've got the pressure on your shoulders of making sure that your team stay out of the relegation zone and maybe even propel yourselves up the table. We talk about Danny Ings all the time and he's proven to be probably the only one that's consistently able to do that for a team in that area of the table. I have been impressed by Bamford, but... To bo- again, to borrow a bit of an old cliche, let's see how he is in January, February, when the pressure starts to build, where the, there's still a lot of games, the FA Cup starts to come into play as well, and Leeds could be in a situation whereby if we start seeing the the Jekyll and Hyde situation again, where we don't really know what's going to happen, he's going to have to come to the fore and get goals in games when they're playing badly or they're struggling with confidence, and that'll be the real test mm. of him. It's <clears throat> it's easy to score goals in August and September, let's put it that way, um, and it's easy to build your confidence there where you really get credit in the bank is, is later on in the season. Interesting stat for West Ham fans that if we do, or if they do, I'm not sure whether I'm supposed to be neutral or not, get a victory tonight against Leeds, that'll be 20 points from 12 Premier League games, only the second time it's been done in the club's history. So it could be an impressive start for West Ham this season when many were tipping the club for relegation or certainly a relegation battle. We're going to move on to our fourth London club of the podcast. We've done Tottenham, we've done Arsenal, we've done West Ham, so we're going to talk Chelsea. That is the team that is under the floodlight focus. We'll be talking to Mark Worrell, a Chelsea fan and football writer, next on Football Social Daily. Football Social Daily. Find more great sport at sport-social.co.uk. Football Social Daily. Find more great sport at sport-social.co.uk. 
Welcome back to Football Social Daily. It is time for our floodlight focus, which today is all about Chelsea. And we've got Chelsea fan and football writer Mark Worrell joining us. Thanks for coming on. I think it's a good time to be a Chelsea fan and a good time to talk Chelsea, isn't it? Because you've looked pretty impressive so far this season. And at the moment, in my view, improving week on week. Did you expect this? When you saw the funds being pumped into the club in the summer and the players coming in, did you expect this to be a good season? I think there was always going to be an element of, um, you know, waiting to see how how Frank could uh, integrate all the new signings into the team. Um, you know, there was there were a couple of wobbles early on, principally in defence, uh, the issues with Kepa. So, you know, I think the, the, the signing of Mendy, which has kind of been, you know, inspired through the connections of Petr Cech, obviously, um, has proved to be, you know, the catalyst uh, for change along with Thiago Silva. So building from the back, you know, it, it's it's really good that two, two sort of players that weren't really on the radar at all in terms of discussions for players coming into the club have had such a big impact and, you know, brought the confidence into the side, which, um, you know, has kind of transpired into results, clean sheets, and obviously building on that, the climb up the table and, you know, being considered as genuine contenders for the title, which wasn't the case, you know, back in uh, kind of September. I don't know, I, I had a fiver on you at the beginning of the season, so uh, we'll have to see how that one comes out. Uh, wise investment. <laughs> yeah. I think um, quite a lot of Chelsea fans have always been behind Frank Lampard mainly because of his heritage with the club but certainly outside of Chelsea and there is pockets of fans within Chelsea who kind of have doubted him a little bit in terms of his managerial ability even coming off the back of that first season which was undoubtedly impressive does it feel like now we're a quarter of the way into this season he's winning over some of those doubters a little bit. I think I think it was always going to be the case. There were there were kind of two um, there were two issues. Sort of supporters were concerned that because of the club's sort of history with um, removing managers from their posts mm. uh, fairly quickly, if success wasn't um, evident immediately, or you look at somebody like. Robbie Di Matteo, um, you know, there was apprehension that the same might happen with Frank. Um, so that was one side of the coin. You know, his lack of experience um, being the other, you know, did he have the technical awareness to, to do the role? You know, was Jody the right guy to be the number two and all, all those things. Um, but, you know, he's proved himself as a, as a very capable manager. He, he's media friendly, he's articulate, um, you know, People like the guy and he's a born winner as well. And, you know, the fact that everything, the stars seem to be aligning for him now, um, you know, he's kind of proving that he can do the job. So, yeah, you know, to, 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 to answer your question, I think people who doubted, you know, those fans who doubted his ability to do the job have probably been swayed um, in his favour, you know, over the past few weeks. And, and you know, outside of that, um, I still think, you know, the, the broader media are reluctant to acknowledge um, that he might actually have a, 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 a tactical football brain and might not just be, you know, Frank Lampard, um, Chelsea's record goal scorer, club legend, etc. So it's good that all of those things seem to be coming together um, because, you know, he's, he's absolutely brilliant for the football club. 
Mm. You can ask for a you know better ambassador to have as, as a manager. I guess he's got quite a big decision to make in the coming weeks over Oliver Giroud, who's been a man that's been in the headlines recently. The oldest player ever to score a hat-trick in the Champions League now. Long heralded by this podcast as one of the most underrated strikers in the Premier League. But the club have consistently said that if he needs to leave to find first-team football to play his way into the Euros, they won't stand in his way of doing that. Do you think Lampard needs to maybe integrate him more in the first team, maybe start him in, start him in the place of Abraham in order to keep him in? Because he has proved valuable again and again for Chelsea. Yeah, I, I think, to be honest with you, I think we've seen over the, the, the past uh, two or three weeks, as, as the fixture... Uh, as the fixtures become congested, particularly you know as we as we head into the festive period, um, I think there's enough. There's going to be enough games there for you know Giroud to 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 get the minutes that he wants. I, I really don't think that um, him leaving in January is, is is something that's likely to happen now. Um, you know he's getting the game times fixtures congested now so there's going to be plenty of opportunities to, to play for because of squad rotation and you know to be honest with you he, he was playing for France when he wasn't getting a game with uh, with Chelsea so I, I really don't think that's kind of um, a concern for anybody that he might leave in January uh, you know personally I'd, I'd like to see him stay at the club uh, at the end of the summer I mean it depends if he wants to you know, carry on playing and maybe go off to uh, MLS or do something like that or, you know, move to one of the European leagues. I know Conte uh, at Inter's a, a big admirer, but, you know, he might not be at Inter um, come, come the summer anyway. Uh, I'd like to see him stay at the club because, he's a, you know, he's a model pro and he could bring a lot um, still to the dressing room and the coaching ground if, that, if that's his aspiration. Speaking of your attacking options, Kai Havertz has had a few weeks off recently. He contracted coronavirus and it took him out of training yeah. for a few weeks as well. Lampard's been bigging up his return recently and I think he's done really well since his move in the summer. But I've seen a lot of suggestions that he's maybe not contributed enough, which I suppose is partly the pitfalls of coming with a £70 million transfer fee. It's quite difficult to live up to fees that are that big but as, as you Kepa knows <laughs> yeah exactly do you think it's um, the criticism is fair do you think he, how do you, have you rated his performances since coming in I think to be honest with you you know we kind of got a glimmer of um, his ability when he I think he scored that hat trick didn't he in um, the uh, the league cup mm. um, you know so we know what Kai Havertz can do uh, as a footballer clearly the COVID thing was a lot more um, serious than uh, you know it, it was at first thought. I think I think you know he was, people thought he was asymptomatic and he just tested positive for the virus. But clearly, it's, it's had an impact on 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 his his fitness. So with with that knowledge, I think you know it's fair 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 enough to cut him plenty of slack. Um, I, I think he's he's a really good player. You know. Uh, not not just saying that because of the money that that's been paid for him, but I, I can see him doing really well um, and integrating into that team over time. You know, you have to look at. I know Werner's kind of been a bit profligate of late, but he gets. You know, he's been unlucky with a few offside decisions, um, but he's got. You know, he's got the energy and the appetite and the desire to to, to play for Chelsea, score goals, and you can see that in Havertz as well. And I think mm. you know the pair of them are 
proved to be pretty ast- I know it was big money but they they, they could have gone elsewhere and uh, they're, good, they're good signings for Chelsea As you mentioned earlier Abramovich has reopened his wallet after a couple of barren years certainly by Chelsea standards do you think there's going to be more incomings in January or do you think that's kind of the spending for the year and maybe there'll be some recruitment in the summer instead I, I mean unless unless there was a deal to be done um, I know ZH kind of that was a bit of a weird deal but you know if, if there was a similar deal to be done for a player that that's been on the the radar for a while um, I could see that happening, but I, th- I think I think what Frank needs to do now he needs to take stock of, you know, what he's got, uh, both in terms of the, the, the younger players. I mean, we're kind of blessed with. I know we kind of you know it's it's the turn of Ziyech and Hudson Odoi to be um, injured for, of the wide men at the moment, but you know we've got a very strong squad now, and I think Frank needs to take a look at that both in terms of players that are out on loan at the moment um, and, you know, the players that he's got. And I think I think there'll be some balancing of the squad in, in the summer, um, but that'll be more on the, the, the departures front. Um, you know, I mean, there's, a, there's, there's still a question mark, you know, Thiago Silva, the age he is, mm. um, you know, do, do Chelsea need to sign another centre-back? Maybe. Um so you know that that that's a possibility, but I don't really see any great requirement, you know, any nagging gaps that you know in the way that there was a year ago. Um, so I think it could potentially be a fairly quiet couple of transfer windows uh, by Chelsea standards. Um, certainly on the incoming front. Mark, pleasure to speak to you. Thank you very much for sharing your views on Chelsea. You're an author. I heard that you've written over thirty. Chelsea books, which is a phenomenal amount. What's the latest and where can people find them? Uh, the, the latest book is a book entitled When Skies Are Grey, uh, Super Frank Chelsea and the Coronavirus Crisis, which uh, <laughs> which is a deep dive into last season. Sounds like a famous five book, that. Yeah, <laughs> that's a deep dive into last season. Um, so, and, and there's a pound of every copy sold goes to the Hammersmith and Fulham Food Bank, which is a charity we support on match day, which obviously we haven't been able to support because we haven't been able to go to games. So there's kind of a decent angle there. That can be found, you know, usual outlets online, all good bookshops and some bad ones as well. Brilliant. Thank you very much, Mark. Appreciate your time. You can find you on Twitter as well, at Gate17Marco, if you want to follow Mark there. And I'm sure there's links to his books on his Twitter account as well. Mark, pleasure. You're welcome. That's it for Floodlight Focus. And that is it for today's podcast. Enjoy the weekend. There will be a full preview show out tomorrow morning with this man, Fergal. Thanks, Jim. Thank you very much, Fergal, and cheers, Steve, as well. Right, see you, lads. Click subscribe, never miss an episode, and we'll see you next time for Football Social Daily. Football Social Daily. Subscribe to the podcast now so you never miss an episode.